Uh, today we are back in Mark's Gospel, um, and we are going to look at a biggish chunk of Mark's Gospel, starting from Mark chapter 7, let me get this right, and verse 31. So we will uh, we'll read from, from there. Here we go. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephrathah, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosened and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well. They said, even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he'd taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present, and having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we've no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. When I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Um, At the moment... The, I think the, the, the Athletics World Championship is taking place. And one of the bizarrest, uh, some of them are quite bizarre, but one of the bizarrest events of athletics has got to be the triple jump. The, the hop, skip, and jump. 
why not just jump once and kind of just get there? Um, but anyway, today is a bit like that. We're, we're looking at a big passage and we're going to kind of stop off three times. We're going to do a hop, we're going to do a skip, and we're going to do a jump. And we're going to start in one place called the region of Decapolis, 10 cities. That's where we're going to hop. And then we're going to skip to the region of Dalmanutha, and we're going to see what's going to happen there. And then we're going to jump and finish with both feet in, or perhaps just near, the boat with the disciples. Why are we doing that? Well, we're going to look at three groups of people and three reactions to Jesus, three different ways in which those three groups respond to Jesus, so we can take note of those. But what I want you to most of all be seeing and getting hold of this morning is how does Jesus respond to them? What's Jesus like? So if in the context of a bigger, a bigger portion of Scripture, some of the details of what we looked at, particularly if you're, you're here young and um, just learning to tune in now and again, well, here are the things to listen out for. If you don't get every detail, get this. What is Jesus like? And if you count yourself to be a disciple of Jesus, and if, you're, um, if you've recently made the decision to follow him and believe him and trust him, or if you made that decision decades ago, this answers, it helps us answer the question, well, what can I expect of God then? What can I expect of Jesus? As I am a disciple of Jesus, as I'm seeking to follow him, what's he like? What can I expect from him? Uh, it says in Hebrews that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what we'll see is, and what we know from ourselves already is, we're very changeable. We wake up in different moods on different mornings. Uh, we can be riding high with enthusiasm and energy and faith, or it can be a very different picture the next day. So yeah, we kind of know what we're like. We'll see what these three groups of people are like. But we're going to see what Jesus is like every day, what he was like back then when this, these events were happening, and what he's like now for us. So first of all, hop with me uh, to the region of the Decapolis. Decapolis is an area um, of, of 10 cities that was firmly in uh, Gentile territory. So this is still part of uh, a trip that must have taken some weeks for Jesus and his disciples um, outside of Israel, away from established Jewish Settlements. He, he's wanting to spend time with his disciples, but he encounters people in the region of uh, Decapolis, and the people are eager. The people are eager, the people are in need, and they're recognizing that need, and so they're keen to be with Jesus. So one imagines again that news must spread. The grapevine does its work. People find out about Jesus, they find out what he's like, they find out what he's done before, and then a group of people, a group of friends, think, right, well, one of our mates is deaf and can hardly talk, but we've heard about Jesus, so we're going to bring our friend um, to, to Jesus. Um, we see also later on a, a large crowd gathering, and we find out how eager they are, because they are prepared, without food, or with food having run out, to spend three days uh, listening to Jesus. Well, we're desperate. We need you, Lord. So we're going to soak up every word. That's where the people are at. 
How does, what's Jesus like? What we're going to see in how Jesus responds to these groups of people is yet again Jesus overflowing, simply amazing compassion. What is Jesus like? Jesus cares. We see two dramatic miracles. One is a personal uh, healing, like I've said, this man who's deaf and could hardly talk. And even in the way that Jesus responds to him and works with him and heals him, he's all the time demonstrating compassion. Now you might think, well, this is just a little bit strange. Uh, could I have a male volunteer, please, uh, to act, help me role play? Oh, yes. Um, come on, Johnny. Come and join me. Oh, actually, stay there for just a moment. You are Johnny's friends. You may stand. You're Johnny's friends. You've brought Johnny here um, because Johnny has a significant personal need. How do... <laughs> Sorry, Johnny. Well, we, we all knew it. Um, <laughs> how does Jesus respond? This is a guy who cannot hear. If Jesus is going to hear him, heal him amongst the crowd... And he can hear for the first time, or he can hear for the first time in a long time, and you all celebrate like crazy, what's that going to do to a guy who's only just rediscovered the sense of hearing? It's going to be overwhelming. So what does Jesus do? He comes and meets with this guy, and he takes him aside. He takes him away from the crowd, but you can still observe. Now, what happens next? How does Jesus show his compassion next? Well, he's communicating clearly with a guy who can't hear. So we see that in that he puts his fingers in his ears. I'll, I'll do this almost. So he's like, kind of getting the guy and saying, look, in, in other words, something's about to happen. Something's about to happen here. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus spits. <laughs> Not really. Something's about to happen here too. So he's got his saliva. I won't touch your tongue. But that, oh, go on then. He touches the guy's tongue. Say, look, Something's about to happen. He's, he's speaking to the guy. He's communicating with the guy to raise his faith. It says about this, this deep sigh. Well, it also says he, he looks up to heaven. He's looking up. He's showing to this man where the, where's the source of this healing. Where are we, who are we looking to to do uh, an amazing work here? He's looking up to heaven. And with a deep sigh, he says, be opened. He's not just going to speak be opened. It's a deep sigh because he's showing this guy something's about to happen now. And maybe the word is recorded there, Ephrathah, because that's the first word this guy heard. Be opened. And his ears were open. open. Johnny, thank you so much for your willing uh, participation. So it's that deep sigh which is he's physically showing the man who's about to be healed, I'm praying for you. Something's about to happen. But it's also a deep sigh from Jesus because he deeply cares. He deeply cares about the physical suffering this man has experienced and all the implications that it's brought into his life. There's a slight irony or twist in the story that um, the guy who could hardly talk and all his friends, after he's healed, they're all told, don't tell anyone, um, which we've kind of seen. Now that you've got this ability to speak, don't tell anybody about what's just happened, um, which we've seen that uh, before now. Uh, Personal healing, also miraculous feeding. There's this large crowd. After three days, they have nothing to eat. Now, this is not just Mark repeating a story that we've heard before. This is not the same account that we came across in chapter 
6 is very, it's very similar to the 5,000 um, being fed. Uh, we might think, well, is it just that the records have got mistaken? Some people heard it one way, some people heard it another way. It's two different events, and the way in which the different details have been preserved are what shows us this is two separate occasions. Jesus fed the 5,000. Now Jesus is feeding the 4,000 with a different quantity of bread. And oh, there's some fish as well again. And it's all divided and distributed amongst the people after Jesus gives thanks. What does he say right at the outset? He called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. I care. So there is a, a people who are eager. There is a, a saviour who is full of compassion. Skip with me to the, uh, the region of Dalmanutha. After these marvelous miracles, this is where Jesus next lands. Because after uh, feeding the 4,000, having sent, them, uh, sent the people away, in verse 10, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of uh, Dalmanutha. But what happens next? The Pharisees came and began to ask questions. So we meet another group. We meet the Pharisees. We've met them before. Uh, we've seen the people's eagerness. Now we see the Pharisees' aggression. Jesus and his disciples have been away outside of Israel for weeks. Having been in the region of Decapolis, that's one side of the Sea of Galilee, they get in their boats and they travel across back into more obviously Jewish territory. Jesus steps onto Jewish soil for the first time in a long time, and straight away the Pharisees are there ready to ask questions. Now, there is nothing wrong uh, with questions. Uh, questions are good. Um, nevertheless, their motive in asking these questions is clear. That's why I'm saying the Pharisees are aggressive. Uh, us, uh, this section shows us the Pharisees' aggression. They are opposed to Jesus. They, their desire is to test him to trick him, to find him out, to discredit him in some way. They're not genuinely interested. They're not trying to make up their minds about who Jesus is and what he's like. They have already drawn their own conclusions. They've already decided they don't want anything to do with Jesus. They are demanding that he kind of prove himself with a sign from heaven. We think, well, well, hang on a minute, surely the news of all these miracles would be enough. Well, no, not for these uh, guys. They want a sign from heaven. Perhaps what they have in mind is uh, what's recorded of, of Elijah on Mount Carmel when fire came from heaven. They want something from heaven. They want something like that. These miracles of people being healed uh, is not enough for them. Look how Jesus responds. We see what, saw how he sighed in care and concern for the guy who he then went on to heal. Now he sighs an even deeper sigh. There was a big problem. There was a man who couldn't speak and couldn't hear. And we saw how Jesus responded in compassion. It's now as if there's, there's even a bigger problem. The bigger problem is those who are supposed to be leading others towards God, spiritually influential in the nation, uh, they have a different condition. 
uh, it's called spiritual blindness. They are blind to the one who stood in front of them. And so Jesus is exasperated. Oh, what? By their cynicism? Cynicism is, is assuming someone else's motives are bad. Cynicism is, is feeling sure that someone else has got it wrong, even before being kind of fully in possession of all of the facts. The Pharisees are cynical, they are proud, and they want to find fault with Jesus. That's their response. And sometimes, I have to admit, we see ourselves, don't we, in these responses. There are times when we are just eagerness itself. We are zealous we are keen, uh, we, we love to pray, we love to meet with other people who also know God, and uh, we're keen to approach Jesus, we know we've got big needs, um, and we're coming to him in faith, expecting from his word, and by his spirit, to receive encouragement and, uh, and live a life devoted to him, but we are variable, we do change, and sometimes we are, like us, the Pharisees, proud. We can respond in the same way. Sometimes um, I would identify this in myself um, when I have visited another church or I have heard of other people visiting another church and there's some perverse logic in me that wants them to say, it wasn't that good, it was nothing like city church Um, or or whatever, or or if I've been myself, to, to kind of... To find a fault. Think, well, what, what is that other than horrific pride? Um, went to uh, another church recently, um, kind of whilst, whilst away visiting family, and it was fabulous. It was different. So I kind of came away thinking, wow, it's just unusual. We don't normally have somebody leading worship from the iPod. So it's a kind of gathering of about this side. The church had said to their worship team and their musicians, actually, have the summer off. We're going to use the iPod. The iPod in, in worship as an instrument of praise for the congregation. I didn't react in that way. But that's kind of, one can think, well, it's, it's different, it's wrong, it's not right. Well, that is just fresh. It's, it's, in that church, it's grace. They handled it quite well. There was no kind of clunky progression. There's no kind of suddenly the musical stopped. But neither was it just seamless music with no opportunity for people to pray out and read scripture. They kind of made space and there were people prophesying and so on. I thought, well, fabulous. I wonder how you feel about going to Devoted. We're going to Devoted next week. It's just another um, uh, opportunity to uh, be encouraged and be with thousands of believers rather than tens and hundreds of believers. Um, it's something we've not, we obviously we didn't do it last year because there wasn't a, an event like it taking place, but amongst a group of churches that we're a part of, uh, happening this year, and this is just my opportunity to say, if you are going, with what attitude are you going? Are you going with, a, well, this, that's not how City Church would do it in the worship or some practical organization? Well, you know, when City Church do something, no one has to pay. You just give what you feel to. 
uh, when we do a weekend away. We've had to pay for this. And this time, it's, it costs for young people to go. And this time, to be a day visitor, it costs a bit more. But it's, it's, a, com- it's a new event in a new location. Um, it's it's going to be familiar to those of us who've been to, say, North, for example. But it's going to be its own thing as well. And we're going to go and discover what it's like. Are you going with a sense of arms folded, I'm not quite sure about this already. There must be some problems here. Or are you going, this is an opportunity for me to draw near to God and hear from him and worship him. Let's go with the right attitude. Cynicism is presuming that others have a bad motive or that others aren't mature. Uh, that, That somehow we set the standard. No, we don't. If you notice any pride in your own heart, if you notice any pride in my heart, please take action on it. These Pharisees knew the scriptures. We've been looking at that recently, where Jesus in John 5 says to people who are criticizing him, he says, well, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you have eternal life, yet you refuse to come to me that you might really have eternal life. He's kind of just pointing out the irony. You really know your stuff, but you've got it totally wrong. Why? Because of their, their pride. I was reading a book recently, which I've left in my bag. Actually, I wasn't reading it recently. I read it a while ago, um, but it's made a lasting impression on me. A guy called Paul Tripp writes of a a dangerous calling. And uh, there's a chapter entitled, Big Theological Brains and Heart Disease. And he's writing of himself. Um, He says, uh, as he was at Bible college or in leadership of a church, he says, one evening... Hours into studying the next section of Romans, he's been developing this massive notebook of study and all, uh, all that he's been looking at. Hours into studying the next section of Romans, it hit me. I'd spent hours each day for months studying perhaps the most extensive and gorgeous exposition of the gospel that has ever been written and I'd been fundamentally untouched by its message. The message had little impact on me. It had been all grammar and theological ideas and logical arguments. It had been a massive intellectual exercise, but almost completely devoid of spiritual power. So we can store the word of God up like a Pharisee, or like he's describing there. Let's go through a big theological brain, but have a heart, heart disease at the same time. He goes on to write a, a little bit later on, bad things happen when maturity is more defined by knowing than it is by being. Danger is afloat. When you come to love the ideas more than the God whom they represent and the people they are meant to free. The attitude of a Pharisee. <laughs> They're in danger, and they don't know it. Prove it, Jesus. Come on, prove it. Show us, show us some special sign from heaven. You know, if you're really that impressive, that's what, you'll, that's what you'll do. Arms folded, cynical. Their own knowledge just puffing them up. And they're kind of acting as though they sit as judge over what God is doing. As though God could only do something if I already approve of it. And Jesus, well, Jesus' response, let's... We see the Pharisees and their hostility. What's, what's Jesus' response? He, he again, he sighed deeply. He said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? 
Maybe he's now seeing at this point in his ministry that the attitude that's been in the Pharisees is actually now starting to pollute the people from all over the place who've, who've previously gathered and heard Jesus teach or seen him perform a miracle. And now they're starting to retreat with a slight hostility, a slight wariness. Well, they're still wanting further proof that, that Jesus is good and that Jesus is from God. Those few verses in chapter 8, verse 11 to 13 that we just skipped to show us the horror of pride and they show us Jesus' response. He said what he did. Verse 13, you can just read it as matter of fact. Oh, it's just one of those bridging verses that gets us to the next bit. Or you can see, then he left them. They've been consistently harboring pride. Jesus left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. 1 Peter 5 and verse 5. Or towards the, the end of that and into verse 6. A warning and a promise and an instruction. The warning. God opposes the proud. People who think they're studying truth, serving God, like the Pharisees, but are proud in their hearts, God opposes. The promise, but God gives grace to the humble. That's what we saw in the first reaction, the first response. The eager people are a humble people, keen to draw near uh, to Jesus. The instruction that comes off the back of it, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. God's desire is not to, as it were, just get in the boat and leave. God's desire is to encounter um, in people a humility. That means that he can then lift them up and, uh, and draw them even closer uh, to himself. So we need to learn from that. But in a sense, we've hopped, we've skipped. Now we're going to jump. We're landing our last destination We've visited the region of the Capitalis. We've visited the region of Dalmanutha. Now we are visiting the boat. Lots of important stuff happens in the boat. And the disciples are back in the boat. And where we've seen the people's eagerness, the Pharisees' aggression, we now see the disciples' confusion. They're having a wobble. Why are they having a wobble? Well, the disciples have been in unfamiliar territory for weeks and weeks. They've been traveling through uh, Gentile communities. That's not their comfort zone. That's where Jesus has led them. They've had loads to take on board with what they've seen. 
I think it's re- the, the previous passage on verse 24, the faith of a Syrophoenician woman, when we looked at that some weeks ago, I think that made such a massive impression on them. You can imagine they're just chewing over that for weeks and weeks. What's going on? What does this mean? What's true? What is God doing on this planet? What are God's purposes in his kingdom? I thought I understood. I thought I grew up understanding. And now I realize I, I don't. We don't understand what's going on. Now they've seen yet another showdown with the, with the proud Pharisees. And it's happened before, but there's a kind of air of finality about this one. Jesus left them. They had another opportunity to come close to him. Jesus has seen where they're at, seen their pride, and has now retreated from the Pharisees. And maybe it's becoming even clearer to the disciples, oh, Jesus is not going to become part of the mainstream. Jesus isn't tucking in with the Pharisees. The Pharisees and Jesus aren't kind of managing to come up with a deal where they kind of work together. We really are. It really is now just Jesus and his disciples. From this point onwards, especially, that's Jesus' focus. Spending time with his disciples, training them. So, on their own, heads spinning, minds racing, uncertain of the future and then oh, what with their minds a bit of a blur is it any wonder oh they've only brought one loaf of bread with them I mean there are 13 of them one loaf of bread's not going to go very far it's a bit bizarre though isn't it because you just think hang on a minute a few verses ago you had seven basketfuls of bread and fish where did it all go anyway they only brought one loaf with them, and then it's perhaps like they're kind of just preoccupied. They're really focused on their failing. Oh no, what have we done? Oh, rubbish. If only we could, if only we'd remember to bring more bread with us. They're so preoccupied with that, they completely then misunderstand Jesus' warning. Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. You've just seen again pride. We've commented before on on how the, the Pharisees are brilliant on the outside, but their hearts are not right, they're hypocritical, they wear a religious mask, and behind it, they think and do as they please. For them, it's just about keeping clean on the outside, keeping Israel free uh, from Gentiles and Romans and others. They're just concerned with a very rigid idea of purity. So beware. And they're like, well, oh, is he saying this because we forgot to bring any bread? Um, The disciples are confused. Sometimes we come into times, seasons, moments of life when we're, just, we're experiencing confusion, maybe by being in an unfamiliar place, maybe by having just lots to take on board, lots to think through. Maybe even that we've, we've seen a bit of our own heart and, or we've, we've, we've kind of slipped up or, or failed in some way, whether that was a, a simple oversight like forgetting bread or, or whether that's something more clearly uh, sinful, I've, I've messed up again, we get, get focused in, get confused. Where is God in all of this? What's Jesus doing? Uh, this is a lonely time, and um, it's just us. We're vulnerable. But all the way through, we've seen what people are like. Well, we already know. Sometimes we're really eager, zealous, going for it. At other times, 
We're proud, a bit arrogant, think we know best when we don't, think we understand when we don't, jump to a conclusion before we've really listened and paid attention to all the facts. It's human nature. And sometimes the vulnerability of human life is we're confused. And we kind of acknowledge, yep, we don't understand. We don't get it. We don't understand what's coming. We don't, we don't see the big picture. I really see who is Jesus. Well, all the way through we've seen that. More importantly, we need to see what is Jesus like. What does Jesus show us that God is like? We've seen that Jesus is compassionate. Take note. Let that be your notes today. Jesus Jesus cares. Pursuing the supernatural, pursuing miraculous can be done with compassion or we, or we could try and do it with pride as if it's like a badge of honour for us. No, we, we want to care like Jesus cares. So we see Jesus' compassion. We see Jesus' response to pride. Okay, have it your way. I'll leave it to you. I'm going to focus elsewhere for a while. But what do we see here with the disciples confused? We see Jesus' commitment. The fact is they are having a wobble. How does Jesus respond? With another deep sigh? And, well, I'm I'm off then. I'll find another group. No, his response is to kind of draw closer, to focus closer. I'm going to pour my time, my life my energy, the truth, I'm going to pour it into you and I'm going to keep pouring it into you and I'm going to keep leading you and I'm going to keep loving you I'm going to keep guiding you I'm going to keep occasionally challenging and rebuking but all the way through I'm going to keep I'm going to keep loving you they, they get these uh, Jesus asks them lots of questions why are you talking about having no bread do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? I mean, it's startling. When we've come across that before, we've seen, oh yeah, well, the, the Pharisees have hard hearts. They're the outsiders. You guys, my disciples, you're kind of with me. You're on the inside. And to you, I explain the parables. I know that, you, you know, therefore you, you understand. The secrets have been revealed to you. Uh, it's great. And now it's as if you're saying to them, well, actually, are you heading in the same direction as the Pharisees? Is that where your, your heart is going? He's asking the question. It's not kind of completely going for the jugular. Your hearts are hard. Think, well, are your hearts hardened as well? Do you have eyes that don't work? Do you have ears that don't work? He's inviting them to remember. Look, I know, I know right now there might be some element of confusion. Things aren't clear. But just... Let's just revisit what's happened recently. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They know the answer, 12. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. They know the answer. He said to them, do you still not understand? The whole portion that we've looked at is kind of left hanging on that, and we'll come back to it in future weeks. Um, They know the answer, but they don't understand. They're being invited to, look, look, you've got just one loaf. Okay, that's a bit of a mistake. But remember who's with you. 
Remember what we've done together. Remember what we've been involved in together. Remember how I've, I've acted before. Do you remember how much was left over? We were in that other situation, and the need was bigger because there were 5,000 people. We didn't have any food. Well, just five loaves. Five loaves for 5,000. Look how much was left over. Look how I responded to that need. When there were 4,000 people, and there were uh, only seven loaves, the need was massive. Look how I responded. Look what I've done. Now it's just us, and there's one loaf. Do you think I can't provide for you in an uncertain future? Do you think I can't turn that one loaf into that which will feed you and feed others? Do you think I can't turn a situation where there looks like there is absolutely nothing? I think I can't deal with that and turn it round again to bring an abundance, to look after you, to lead you. There are always times of uncertainty in walking in a life of faith. What we're looking at is what is certain, and that's Jesus' commitment to his disciples. There's a note of hope when Jesus asks, do you still not see or understand? You will see or understand, you just don't see yet. That question that's left hanging at the end. Do you still not understand? The fact that they understood, as we'll see as the gospel unfolds, is because Jesus committed himself to them. Jesus was steadfast in his commitment to those 12 disciples. So what can we expect in life following Jesus? Times of plenty and times of lack. But what can we expect from a life following Jesus? We can expect to encounter that he's a God who cares. He never changes. Yesterday, today, and forever, he cares. We can expect that God opposes pride. Yesterday, today, and forever, he will always be opposed to pride. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That in all things, at all times, however we are doing or feeling in the moment, Jesus will always be committed to us. He'll always be drawing us through to the point of understanding. He'll always be leading us on rather than leaving us behind. Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll sing together. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you are utterly reliable and consistent. You are full of truth and you never change, Lord God. Thank you, Father, that therefore in any time, in any moment, in any season of life, in any area, we know the one to whom we, we can approach. We know that we can have confidence, not in ourselves, but in you, who's made yourself available, close to us, full of grace, ready to respond to every heart that humbles itself 
before you, says I. Just come again, Lord God, to the point of recognizing that I need you. Um, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are so good. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.